As we move from the Reformed system of doctrine and its bearing on the Reformed apologetic, it's time to talk about the starting point that Van Til develops in the Reformed uh, uh, method. Van Til begins his exposition of the Reformed position regarding the point of contact with the image of God and the revealed terms of the covenant of works. Now, this diagram should look familiar. We have the immutable triune creator, and these lines are references to his condescension. If you want to talk broadly about condescension, the triune God relates to the creature by virtue of an act of condescension. Now, each line here represents a distinct facet of that relation. There is the special work of creation and image endowment on the one side, represented by the line uh, as you're viewing this to the left, and the special act of providence that supplies the terms of the covenant of works on the right side uh, as you're looking at this diagram. And so there are distinct, inseparable, simultaneous facets of God's one act of condescension to Adam. Van Til, in formulating a point of contact, will insist that we speak always of what we're going to call the organic relation between these two modes that together form God's one grand scheme of covenantal relation to Adam in the Garden of Eden and its implications for the point of contact after the fall. And uh, he says this. He says, quote, The Reformed position regarding the point of contact for the gospel with the unbeliever begins by saying, quote, Reformed theology as worked out by Calvin and his recent expon expo exponents such as Hodge, Warfield, Kuiper, and Bovink hold that man's mind is derivative. Now that initial observation is the distinction here between the creator and the creature. The creature is derived and the mind of the creature is derivative. Now, popular presentations of Van Til often stop at that point and say that the distinction is between the underived triune creator and the derived creature. But that insight, taken in and of itself, does not distinguish a Reformed doctrine of man from any other view of the creator-creature distinction, whether it's Socinian, Arminian, Roman Catholic, Lutheran, or Bardian. All who believe in a doctrine of creation, in the nature of the case, believe that the creature is derivative and the creator, at least apart from the creature, is underived. So what is the significance of the derived character of the mind of man as a creature for the starting point in apologetical confrontation. Van Til says this. He says, 
not only is the creature derived and the mind of the creature derived, he says, as such, it is naturally in contact with God's revelation. Now, that's key. These two lines represent what Van Til says is a natural contact, to be in naturally in contact with God. He goes on to say, it, the mind, more broadly, the image bearer, think of Adam and Eden, quote, is surrounded by nothing but revelation. It, the mind of man, is inherently revelational. It cannot naturally be conscious of itself without being conscious of its creatureliness. For man, self-consciousness presupposes God-consciousness. Calvin calls this man's inescapable sense of deity. Now, we need to pause here for a moment and recognize here that in this one act of condescension, in these two modes of relation, special work of creation, special act of providence, um, there is a natural contact between the creator and the creature, an, a, an increated or concreated sense of deity. And Van Til says that that implies self-consciousness brings along with it, as a corollary, an immediate God-consciousness. What Calvin identified as man's inescapable sense of deity. Now, that is the starting point in a Reformed apologetic. And I want to explain to you why it's not the starting point in traditional Roman Catholic apologetics, and why it's not the starting point in Karl Barth's theology of history and Geschichte. In contrast to the Reformed view, and think back to our Doctrine of Revelation class, Karl Barth denies that the creature in history has natural contact with God. The only natural contact with God is found in Jesus Christ in a supratemporal realm of Geschichte that cannot be accessed directly in history. So Karl Barth, in the polar far side of Van Til, denies any natural contact between the creator and the creature in history. What does Van Til say? Following Calvin, that this, there is an inescapable sense of deity and a mind a person, an image bearer, naturally in contact with God's revelation, surrounded by nothing but revelation. And so the contrast there between Bart and Van Til is absolute, as we've said before. Bart denies concreated knowledge and concreated capacity of Adam in history, of all men in history. Thomas denies concreated natural knowledge, but affirms a concreated natural capacity. And so Thomas cannot affirm. Please hear this. We'll talk about this more later. Thomas cannot affirm a naturally implanted contact with God in Revelation for image-bearing Adam prior to the fall. And so 
here's the key. The doctrinal conception of the image of God provides a unique starting point for classical Reformed federalism. Thomas and the deeper Catholic conception does not affirm it. Bart and the deeper modernist conception does not affirm it. But Van Til goes on to say now, explaining this, and we're going to talk now especially about Adam as the image of God. Remember, we're always, as Vossians and Van Tilians, we're always as the Reformed, who in light of Westminster Confession 9, 2 through 5, affirm a fourfold estate of man. We are always beginning with man in the estate of innocency to trace the fundamental differences. Van Til, contrary to Thomas and contrary to Bart, says this further about this natural contact, this inherent and inescapable sense of deity in relation to God. He says, quote, For Adam in paradise, God consciousness could not come in at the end of a syllogistic process of reasoning. God consciousness was for him the presupposition of the significance of reasoning on anything. Now, when Van Til says, for Adam in paradise, God consciousness could not come in at the end of a syllogistic process of reasoning, that is a direct critique and denial of traditional Roman Catholic natural theology. As Thomas teaches, as we've seen, the mind begins with the knowledge of sensible objects and traces back from them to a supernatural cause. Van Til, following Calvin, says that this concreated natural knowledge of God rendered Adam intrinsically and inescapably conscious of God and in fellowship with him before the fall in paradise. Francis Turretin puts it this way, There is implanted in man, think of Adam before the fall, a knowledge of God and a sense of divinity of which man can no more be destitute than of a rational intellect. He cannot vest himself of it without putting off himself. That is possibly the most trenchant critique of the Thomistic doctrine of the inner light of reason devoid of concreated natural knowledge of God. The implanted natural knowledge of God and the sense of divinity inheres in all image bearers per se and cannot be put off without the intellect itself being put off. Stunning, incisive, the substance of the deeper Protestant conception. And so to pan back out and look at this quotation that I started with, for Van Til in his concept of starting point, not only is the image bearer derived from God. But more distinctively, he is endowed with an inescapable sense of deity before, and we will see soon, after the fall. Until therefore advocates for the sensus divinitatis, the naturally implanted knowledge And in Turretin's language, that which is implanted in man, a knowledge of God and sense of divinity that cannot 
be removed. He cannot divest himself of. Van Til says that is going to supply a distinctively reformed point of contact. In contrast to the deeper Catholic conception of Aquinas, in contrast to the deeper modernist conception of Bart, you could say that this natural contact is the census divinitatis, the sense of deity, as Calvin says, inescapable. Now, at the same time we affirm this starting point in a work of special creation, we have to recognize that such a starting point, special work of creation, is something of an abstraction. And I've tried in many different lectures to bring this out, but let me put it as simply as I know how by way of clarification. When God revealed himself to Adam in paradise, that's where Van Til's taking his starting point from, as he's worked uh, from the corpus of Voss and developed uh, Voss's theology. When God related to Adam in a uh, work of special creation, that natural relation never existed for a moment in time apart from a special act of providence that stipulated the special terms of the covenant of works. This must be factored into our discussion of starting point. A starting point in the work of special creation would not be complete apart from the correlative revelation of the special terms of the covenant of works. Van Til insists that classically reformed federalism, which we had on the board in the first lecture, classically reformed federalism joins as distinct yet inseparable the internal natural revelation of the image of God and the external supernatural revelation of the terms of the covenant. I'm going to put it on the board. God, in relating to Adam in condescension, joins the internal natural revelation intrinsic to the image of God. We'll call that just the image endowment. Work of special creation, image endowment. God joins the internal natural revelation of that to the external supernatural revelation of the special terms of the covenant of works. The special work of creation or the work of special creation brings internal natural revelation. The special act of providence brings external supernatural revelation. And these two are inseparable and synchronous. Happen at the same time. Listen to what Van Til says. This is in his... um, Christian Apologetics, page 55, 107, first edition of Defense of the Faith. He says, To the doctrine of creation must be added the concept of the covenant. Adam was created as an historical being. 
God placed upon him from the outset of history the responsibility and task of reinterpreting the counsel of God as expressed in creation to himself individually and collectively. Man's creature consciousness may therefore be more particularly signalized as covenant consciousness. But the revelation of the covenant to man in paradise was supernaturally mediated. And so what is Van Til saying? He's saying that this natural contact with God in the census divinitatis, this internal natural revelation given in the image endowment, never for an instant exists apart from the external supernatural revelation spelled out in the terms of covenant and delivered in a special act of providence. As we surveyed in Van Til's Doctrine of Revelation module, the work of special creation and the act of special revelation do not exist apart from one another. In fact, Van Til, in this language that we've just surveyed from Christian apologetics and defense of the faith, he's echoing the teaching of Gerhardus Voss from his Reformed Dogmatics. And I believe I mentioned in the previous class, and this has been confirmed to me through a discussion with Danny Olinger, uh, Van Til was very much in, uh, likely a, a possessor of the Reformed Dogmatics and was at least listening to Voss teach through the Reformed Dogmatics or talk about the Reformed Dogmatics during his time at Princeton. Voss in his Reformed Dogmatics expounded the distinction and relation between the um, special work of creation or work of special creation and the special terms of the covenant in this way. He says, by assuming the positive character of the covenant of works in this sense, we in no way intend to assert that Adam existed even for a single moment outside of the covenant of works. He was apparently created, destined to be under it, and the garden in which he was placed was created to be a stage for his probation. The distinction between natural relationship and the covenant of works is logical and judicial, not temporal. That is Van Til's point. All Van Til is maintaining here in his starting point up to this uh, section, uh, portion of the lecture, is a classical reformed federalism of the type you find in Voss's Reformed Dogmatics 232. Van Til echoes this teaching when he says now in his, um, in his work, in paradise, Adam knew that he was a creature of God and that it was natural and proper that he should keep the covenant God made with him. Now, that language, natural, it was natural that he keep the covenant. Van Til suggests, by natural, an organic relation, listen, an organic relation between Adam as created and Adam in covenant with God. Covenant and creation, creation and covenant. 
the internal natural revelation of the image, the external supernatural revelation of the special act of providence, make it natural for Adam to obey God's covenant. And then Van Til says this, In this way, it appears that man's proper self-consciousness, even in paradise, depended upon his being in contact with both supernatural and natural revelation. God's natural revelation was within man, book of conscience, and was about him, book of nature. Man's very constitution as a rational and moral being is revelational to man as the ethically responsible reactor to revelation. And natural revelation is itself incomplete. It Listen, it needed from the outset to be supplemented with supernatural revelation about man's future. Thus, the very idea of supernatural revelation, the covenant of works, is correlatively embodied in the idea of man's proper self-consciousness. Let me put it this way. In Genesis 2, 7 through 18, the moment Adam came from the dust of the earth, God breathed into him the breath of life and implanted natural religious knowledge in him. And God breathed from his mouth the special terms of the covenant to direct him to his appointed end. The one never exists apart from the other. Van Til calls it a correlative relation. I will call it, by way of supplementation, a symbiotic relation. Although each is a distinct mode of revelation, the natural never functions apart from the supernatural in Adam's relation to God. And listen, that impinges upon proper creature consciousness. Adam's consciousness never knew a moment when he existed outside of A, natural religious fellowship with God, that was B, under the special terms of the covenant of works. So Van Til, now, as he talks about the point of contact, once that point of contact, this starting point or or point of contact, he wants it to be shaped by what? Classical Reformed Federalism. Distinctive conceptions of nature and the special terms of the covenant. Van Til quotes in his Common Grace in the Gospel, page 69, or makes direct allusion to Voss. Listen to this further. This isn't from Voss's Reformed Dogmatics. This is from his biblical theology. It should also be recognized that man was from the outset confronted with positive as well as natural revelation. Pause there. Positive revelation, external supernatural revelation. Natural revelation, internal Concreated knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. I'll continue the quote. Ventil says, Dr. Voss speaks of this as pre-redemptive special revelation. God walked and talked with man. Natural revelation must not be separated from this supernatural revelation. To separate the two is to deal with two abstractions instead of one concrete situation. That is to say, natural revelation, whether objective 
in the book of nature or subjective in the book of conscience is itself a limiting conception. And here might be the most incisive language in Van Til's corpus on this point. It, natural revelation, has never existed by itself so far as man is concerned. It cannot be fairly considered, therefore, as a fixed quantity that can be dealt with in the same way at every stage of man's moral life. Man was originally placed before God as a covenant personality. End of quote. Now, we did survey this in the Doctrine of Revelation course, but what we're doing now is we're connecting this to a distinctive starting point in engaging the unbeliever. The two forms of revelation, natural and supernatural, do not exist in isolation or separation from one another. Now, that's the case when we're thinking about the relationship before the fall. Van Til says God's revelation in nature, together with God's revelation in Scripture, formed one grand scheme of covenantal relation to Adam. But what about the fall? How do we understand the the starting point, the point of contact? How do we understand, listen, this classical Reformed federalism after the fall when we're thinking about the starting point and a point of contact with the unbeliever? Well, having examined the pre-fall philosophy of history, the, the organic relation between internal natural revelation and external supernatural revelation, having done that, we are in a point, at a point now where we can turn to Van Til's discussion of the point of contact after the fall. How does, listen, how does the rupture of the organic relation between general and special revelation after the fall bear on the point of contact, the starting point for the gospel with the unregenerate? Well, we, we need to talk then about original sin, natural revelation, and the covenant of works. Now, we have this in place in terms of the pre-fall situation. Now, let's think of this in terms of the post-fall situation. Let me say a few things that are foundational about classical Reformed federalism and its doctrine now of original sin. As that original sin operates in this context, this context of an inseparable and synchronous relation of natural and special revelation of Adam as the image of God and in covenant with God. First, Adam's original sin brought a corruption to every faculty of Adam as the image of God. Unlike the teaching of Thomas Aquinas and traditional Roman Catholicism that we'll survey later, sin does not merely diminish the good in Adam's natural gifts. Rather, Sin brings, in the language of the Shorter Catechism 18, a, quote, corruption of his whole nature. So when Adam sins, the first thing we can say is there was a corruption 
of his whole nature. A corruption, not a privation of the good, but a corruption due to sin. In fact, Shorter Catechism 18 is expanded in Westminster Confession 6.3, which says that Adam's original sin entailed, quote, death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity descending from them, Adam and Eve, by ordinary generation. Thus, in terms of this original corruption, quote, Westminster Confession 6.4, we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all that is good and wholly inclined to all evil. Westminster Confession 6.4. To put it one last way, in, in light of Confession 9.3, Adam and his fallen posterity are altogether averse from that good and dead in sin. They are not merely weakened or diminished. This doctrine of sin stands in antithetical contrast to traditional Roman Catholic and Remonstrant Arminian conceptions of original sin as a weakening or diminishing of the good in the creature. Van Til affirms not that Adam lost entirely the supernatural gifts and experienced only a diminishing of natural gifts, traditional Roman Catholicism, Rather, sin infects the very nature, corrupts the whole nature of Adam. Intellect, affections, and will. Fallen, bound in sin. Van Til says this, It is only when we begin our approach to the question of the point of contact, by thus analyzing the situation as it obtained in paradise before the fall of man, that we can attain to a true conception of the natural man and his capacities with respect to the truth. Now, just by way of commentary, when Van Til's speaking of natural man here in this text, Defense of the Faith, page 109, he's talking about the natural man as fallen. Think Romans 8, 7, and 8. He goes on to say, The Apostle Paul speaks of the natural man as actually possessing the knowledge of God, Romans 1, 19-21. The greatness of his sin lies precisely in the fact that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. No man can escape knowing God. It is indelibly involved in his awareness of anything whatsoever. Man ought, therefore, as Calvin put it, to recognize God. There's no excuse for him if he does not. The reason for his failure to recognize God God lies exclusively in him. And here's, the, here's the, the final quote. It is due to his willful transgression of the very law of his being. End quote. Van Til reasons directly from inescapable, internal, natural revelation of God before the fall to the possession yet suppression of the same after the fall. 
the one thing that does not change before and after the fall is that there is a divinely revealed, inescapable knowledge of God that is worshipped before the fall. God is worshipped before the fall, ethically suppressed after the fall. No man before or after the fall can escape knowing God. But Van Til's point is that the natural man who has sinned and fallen with Adam in his first transgression engages in the willful, voluntary transgression of the law of his being. Sinners suppress that naturally implanted and inalienable knowledge of God stamped upon their hearts by virtue of God's creative activity. Ventil expands on it in this way. He says, of course, when we thus stress Paul's teaching that all men do not have a mere capacity for, but are in actual possession of the knowledge of God, we have at once to add Paul's further instruction to the effect that all men, due to the sin within them, always and in all relationships seek to suppress this knowledge of God. The natural man is such a one as constantly throws water on a fire that he cannot quench. He has yielded to the temptation of Satan and has become his bondservant. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve in paradise, he sought to make them believe that man's self-consciousness was ultimate rather than derivative and God-dependent. And so what Van Til is saying is that after the fall, man not only possesses a God-given and inalienable rational capacity for the knowledge of God. That's a point, actually, where Rome and the Reformation agree. There is a natural capacity. But Van Til insists, along with Calvin, that that rational capacity is itself fallen. In Boving's language, has been spoiled and ruined by original sin that so, quote, profoundly affected the whole person. This spoiled and ruined rational capacity after the fall consists in this, that, quote, all men, due to the sin within them, always and in all relationships seek to suppress this knowledge of God that remains in them as inviolable. Now, this drives until to speak, as we said in a previous lecture, drives Van Til to speak of what is true psychologically and epistemologically of unbelievers. In terms of psychology, Van Til means what is given universally after the fall in God's internal general revelation. All men know God, Romans 1, 18-20. In terms of epistemology, what the believer claims he knows on the basis of his espoused presuppositions, all men suppress that naturally implanted knowledge of God, and they deny his supernatural revelation of God. If you think of the diagram, sin brings about a suppression of internal natural revelation and a rejection of external supernatural revelation. That's the nature of sin. They deny in their espoused worldviews what they know to be true in the deepest recesses of their being. And in that way, they violate the law of their being. Now, Adam's failure under the covenant of works 
brought about a change not only in human nature, but in natural revelation itself. After the fall, God's internal natural revelation in the census divinitatis remains. It discloses wrath and it is suppressed. But this moves us now to talk not about creation, which we started with, not just about the fall and original sin in classical Reformed federalism, but we need to talk about regeneration and special revelation in the covenant of grace. We need to talk about redemption and and develop this classical Reformed federalism. Now, let me make a point that's not easily grasped or initially intuitive unless you are trained in classical Reformed federalism. Here it is. Before the fall, natural revelation did not function for a moment apart from supernatural revelation. The work of special creation conferred the image of God. Special act of providence supplied the real, revealed terms of the covenant of works. God's condescension incorporated both forms of revelation into one synchronous and unified scheme of covenantal revelation. Here's the question. How does that pre-fall integration of general and special, natural and supernatural revelation, how does that bear on the point of contact with unbelievers after the fall? A starting point, as it were. With them. Van Til insists that after the fall, the inscripturated verbal revelation in the covenant of grace serves the same function that positive verbal revelation served in the covenant of works. The special act of providence and the external supernatural revelation of the covenant of works is inscripturated after the fall in the covenant of of grace. That's one of the great insights in Van Til's Nature and Scripture essay. That special revelation in its inscripturated form is the analog in the covenant of grace to that verbal special revelation in the covenant of works. Moreover, Adam's sin functionally ruptured the organic relation between natural and special revelation. When Adam sinned against God, what happened? Adam, in his original sin that uh, brought not only corruption but guilt and the loss of fellowship with God, he ruptured, it was a rupture, a rupture of this organic relation. The work of Christ restores and perfects that organic relation. Now, how does this bear on a point of contact or a starting point with an unbeliever? The point of contact that pertains to the internal natural revelation inherent to the image of God always carries with it the need for special revelation. 
always carries with it the need for supernatural verbal revelation. Whether we're talking pre-fall in the covenant of works or post-fall in the covenant of grace, natural and supernatural revelation are an organism. The one demands the other. The one assumes the other. God always addresses image bearers before the fall in terms of natural and special revelation. And it is abnormal and sinful to seek to separate those twin forms of revelation. Adam in the garden, as he began to reason about the world and treated the word of God and the word of Satan as competing hypotheses, began the separation of internal and external natural revelation and super, external supernatural verbal revelation. And that characterizes sinners today. What does this mean then to the way a Reformed apologist in terms of classical Reformed federalism appeals to a starting point, a point of contact with an unbeliever? Well, let me put it this way. The point of contact with an unbeliever cannot be sought in a bare natural category or mere natural capacity simpliciter. That is, in itself, taken as an isolated, hermetically sealed datum. This would be an abstraction. It would be an abstraction before the fall. It's an abstraction after the fall. Why? Well, for at least two reasons. Natural, the world of nature without the book of nature, the book of conscience within, external natural revelation, internal natural revelation, brings with it the knowledge of God. The, uh, to put it a different way, natural categories, natural capacities are themselves revelational of God. Natural revelation inalienable to the natural image endowment continues after the fall. There's no such thing as a bare natural capacity. There's no such thing as a mere natural category that is not revelational of God. And secondly, there is, before and after the fall, an organic relation of natural to special revelation. And this means that the natural revelation inherent to the image of God in the book of conscience and the positive supernatural revelation of God in the book of Scripture bear on the question of this starting point with, uh, for the gospel with sinners. The covenant of grace does not suspend this organic relation before the fall, but restores and perfects it. And so the Reformed apologist must always 
And at every point, remember the one grand scheme of organically incorporated natural and special revelation. The Reformed apologist ought to meet the sinful or abnormal rupture of general and special revelation in the broken covenant of works with the redemptive restoration of natural and special revelation in the covenant of grace. The symbiotic character of these two modes of revelation before and after the fall means that in neither case, before or after the fall, should we conceive of natural revelation apart from special revelation. That's Van Til's concern. There's a deep structural parallel in Van Til's argument. The image of God and natural revelation does not exist before the fall apart from special revelation. By periodive reasoning, the image of God and the natural revelation inherent to it ought not, after the fall, exist apart from special revelation. Why does it? Because of the rupture introduced by sin. So sin not only disrupts the organic connection between general and special revelation, it introduces the sinner into self-deception, which I've talked about. Now, what this helps us recognize as we start to move toward the uh, development of method is that we have done at least three things up to this point. We've talked about a reformed doctrinal system of classical Trinitarianism and classical federalism. And we've said that it's a doctrinal package, a unique conception of the creator-creature relation, not shared by traditional Roman Catholicism, not shared by modern Bardianism. Second thing we said is that within the question of the creator-creature relation, only classical Reformed federalism affirms Concreated natural knowledge of God that exists under covenant as the two are inseparable and synchronous. And third, only the Reformed insist that since the relation of natural and supernatural, internal and external revelation, are organically related before the fall, so they must be presented in organic relation after the fall. We don't appeal to natural revelation independent of and as a precursor to special revelation because they have been integrated by God in his pre-fall condescension, and they are integrated by God in his post-fall condescension, whether it's the covenant of works or the covenant of grace. The traditional Roman Catholic view, which Van Til turned a blockhouse method, rends asunder this organic relation. It begins with a common conception of uh, inner, an inner light of reason, that establishes a theism tracing back from sensible objects to a supernatural first cause, only then to reason toward supernatural revelation, natural and sacred theology, which we'll we'll talk about soon. This blockhouse method that seeks to establish truths by recourse to natural reason alone, unaided by supernatural supplementation of grace, 
only then to reason for the necessity of that supernatural supplementation of grace. Van Til says that is not only a misconception after the fall, it's a misconception before the fall. And so what we'll do as we continue on in this course is bring to bear now the reformed system of truth, the doctrines that we looked at earlier, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of salvation, in its distinctive reformed confessional presentation, will bring that to bear not only on starting point, but then develop what Van Til called a method of reasoning by presupposition that begins to place the whole reformed system as a revealed worldview over against the various forms, plural, of the singular non-Christian view. And we'll talk about the bearing of Reformed Trinitarianism, Reformed Federalism on apologetical method and the actual engagement with unbelief.